It's the first Monday in October, which means the Supreme Court is back in session, this time with a full complement of nine justices, something they haven't had for a while with the confirmation of Neil Gorsuch. And the court's day included a trio of cases that will have important consequences for employers and employees. The cases involve the question of whether an employment contract requiring employees to arbitrate disputes can prohibit employees from filing class action lawsuits against the employer. The cases split the federal government with the Trump administration's solicitor general arguing yes, but the National Labor Relations Board arguing no. And both of them appeared in the Supreme Court today. Here to talk with us about this important employment law case are Paul Salvatore, a partner at Proskauer, and Mark Rifkin, a partner at Wolf Haldenstein. Mark, let's start with what the case is about. There are two statutes here that are kind of in conflict. What, 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 are the, what does the court have to decide? Uh, Michael, the, the court is being asked to decide, number one, if there really is a conflict between the two statutes, that is the Federal Arbitration Act, which uh, requires that arbitration agreements be protected to the same extent as every, every other contract, on the one hand, and then the National Labor Relations Act, which protects employees' rights to, uh, 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 to collective actions. And the effect of the arbitration waiver in all these employment agreements is to prohibit employees from bringing either a class action or a collective action under the Fair Labor Standards Act or the National Labor Relations Act, which the employees say is a substantive right they have under the statute. Paul, there was an about face by the Justice Department. Under President Obama, the Justice Department sided with the NLRB, and then under uh, President Trump, they are on the opposite side of the NLRB. Explain how that worked today. Well, it, it actually worked pretty smoothly today. Uh, I didn't think it would. I thought that the, uh, the, the court traditionally frowns on uh, the government uh, flipping uh, positions when the administrations change. Uh, but today, uh, they got away with it. Uh, the uh, deputy solicitor who had been serving as acting solicitor for uh, uh, many months, uh, uh, the, the court started out uh, with a, I was there and, and uh, watched uh, as the chief justice congratulated him for his service to, to, the, to the United States. Uh, and then a few minutes later, uh, he got up and argued. So um, that might have had something to do with the fact that no one, uh, no one slammed them. Um, but his position, uh, the government's position, was uh, the same position that uh, Paul Clement was was arguing on behalf of uh, the employers. So, as I understand it, Mark, the the employers are arguing that the arbitration act, the Federal Arbitration Act, says that um, basically their arbitration provisions are always enforceable. If it exists, it's enforceable, and these contracts do have arbitration provisions. So, how is it that the employee side of this argues around that provision of the law? Well, the employees say that the FAA, the Federal Arbitration Act, only entitles arbitration agreements to be enforced to the same extent as all other contracts. It, it used to be historically in this country that arbitration agreements were frowned upon, and the FAA protects arbitration agreements. But that doesn't mean that an unlawful agreement can be enforced in the federal courts. And so the employees say if this agreement takes away statutory rights that the NLRA, the National Labor Relations Act, gives us, then it's an unlawful agreement and it can't be enforced just like any other unlawful contract could be enforced. Paul, you were there. Tell us how the justices reacted. 
Well, I, I, they they really split uh, uh, in the liberal and conservative camps uh, with Justice Kennedy uh, in the middle, but but not uh, I think that far from the uh, conservative camp where he usually ends up in these arbitration cases, of which there have been many involving many different statutes, including other workplace statutes, uh, over the last uh, twenty years or so. Um, and and so uh, while I think that uh, Justice Breyer and, and Justice Kagan, Sotomayor, and Ginsburg would have no trouble finding a substantive right that's created uh, in uh, Section Seven of the National Labor Relations Act, um, the 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 others uh, 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 would not, and uh, it's the majority that wins. In about thirty seconds, what? Do what? What are the implications here? If in fact the conservative, you get a five-four conservative vote for the employers. Well, I think it's it's another major victory for corporate America, and I I don't divide the court in conservative or liberal terms. I think that's useful in in uh, social issues, but in in business issues, I think it's it's corporations versus individuals. And here, I think it would be a a big win for corporations and a and a big defeat for individuals. I I will note that. Uh, a group of arbitrators filed an amicus brief in which they said exactly that. They said the purpose of this is to discourage employees from filing claims at all because as a practical matter, individual claims don't get litigated. We're talking with Paul Salvatore, a partner at Proskauer, and Mark Rifkin, a partner at Wolf Haldenstein, about today's oral argument in the United States Supreme Court about whether uh, employee arbitration agreements can prevent employees from bringing class action lawsuits against their employers. It's a very important case um, for both employers and for labor. And um, it was apparently uh, a split between the conservatives and the liberals, as many of these controversial cases are. Paul, you were mentioning earlier about that um, Justice Kennedy seemed to be siding with the employer side of the argument on this. What makes you say that? Well, the questions he asked uh, were, were uh, questions which, which went to the uh, uh, fundamental premise that the uh, National Labor Relations Board was uh, asserting that there is a is somehow a substantive right uh, in in the uh, in the labor law to uh, be able to bring a class action. Uh, as Paul Clement, the former Solicitor General who was arguing for the employers, pointed out, for 77 years the NLRB didn't interpret the statute that way. Um, and, and indeed, when the Supreme Court was issuing uh, other arbitration rulings in the workplace, it it never it never said a peep. Uh, uh, Clement said uh, no dog barked at that point. Um, and and so uh, this seems a little disingenuous. Uh, Mark, do you want to respond to that? Well, I don't think it's disingenuous. I think the issue arose here squarely. I think the the NLRB has consistently taken the position that the statute protects, that is the NLRA, protects the right to uh, concerted action. The question is whether this is protected concerted action. And the real issue is whether you think that the class or collective action is merely a procedural remedy as opposed to a substantive right. The, the side of the government that changed positions here, the Justice Department has, has now sided with the employers and said, no, it's not. It's, it's merely a procedural remedy. I think the arbitrators disagree with that, and they recognize how substantive it is because they say if you take away the right to bring class actions or collective actions, you effectively take away the right to bring actions at all. 
Well, that was the very issue that uh, the court addressed in the antitrust context a couple of years ago in a case called Italian Colors. And uh, in in that case, uh, uh, they found that the class action device was procedural. Uh, It'd be interesting to see whether the same justices extend that rule to the workplace. Paul, let me let me follow up on extending rules here and ask you this: If the this, these are hour and wage cases about you know when people work and how much they get paid, how many hours they have to work. If the if the employers win on this, is the principal going to extend into things like anti discrimination lawsuits as well? Well, it it, it, it certainly could, uh, and in some ways, uh, under arbitration agreements, uh, those types of claims are already covered on an individual basis. Mark, let's talk about the importance of this case. It's being called one of the most or the most important business case of the term. What are the implications here? Again, June, I think the the real question is whether we're going to protect corporations uh, from uh, liability for violating the Fair Labor Standards Act or the National Labor Relations Act or we're going to insulate them by taking away a very important right on the part of employees or individuals to gather together and try to balance the scales of justice. And and that's where the ideological difference is between the sides in these cases. Paul, what about Justice Gorsuch? Uh, he is generally expected to be a conservative vote on most things, but was apparently silent today. Do we have any idea, based on how he's ruled in other cases, how he might approach a case like this? Well, this is a uh, a well-trod uh, path uh, where you have two statutes that are allegedly uh, on a collision course. Uh, and uh, this type of statutory interpretation is right up Justice Gorsuch's alley. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if, if we heard from him, even though he was silent today at the argument uh, when the opinion comes out. Mark, over the past decade, the Supreme Court has backed arbitration agreements between companies and consumers or other businesses. Is there any reason to believe that they would deviate from that in this case? Well, sadly, I think the answer to that is no. The, the court has moved even farther in uh, in the direction of protecting corporations, and uh, and that means that they're more likely, not less likely, to enforce the arbitration provision here. Paul, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I don't see it as uh, protecting corporations. I see it as forum selection and and a uh, alternative dispute resolution uh, mechanism that's more suited for the types of claims that come up in the workplace than the federal or state courts. Well. Why is it, Mark, that employers like arbitration so much more than court courthouses? They don't. They they don't like arbitration more than courthouses, but this is the vehicle they've chosen for avoiding liability in for example, in the granddaddy of them all in Concepcion, AT&T's arbitration provision says we want you to arbitrate your claims and you can't arbitrate as a collective or a class action. But oh by the way, if that class action waiver is invalidated, then we want you to sue us in court. That that juxtaposition tells you everything you need to know. This isn't about arbitration as a forum versus the federal court as a forum. This is about class actions versus individual actions. And the arbitrators here who filed the amicus brief put their finger right on it. Individual claims are too small to be litigated efficiently, so they don't get litigated at all. It's a free pass for wrongdoers. That's all it is. 
Well, our thanks to Mark Rifkin of Wolf Haldenstein and Paul Salvatore of Proskauer for being with us here today to talk about the Supreme Court's first day back litigating an important employment case.